Uh, anything in the newspaper of interest, Holmes? I'm rather worried about the floods in Scotland. Uh, what? Oh, oh, the floods. No, not much about it. Water appears to be subsiding. Torrential rains abating. Local people stoic in the circumstances. Mm. Mm -hmm. Well, thank heavens there seems to be an end to it all. I have old friends who are farming in that area. Oh, that's interesting. Hmm? I'm sorry to interrupt your train of thought, Watson, but I just spotted something rather intriguing. Oh? Lady Jane Beresford has had the famous Sarusi pearl stolen whilst giving a house party. And who do you think is in charge of the case? I can't imagine. Ooh. Our old friend Inspector Thorne from Scotland Yard. Oh. <laughs> uh, what's the betting that he'll be around here before lunch? Oh, not to ask advice, of course, Mark Hubert. Merely to uh, drop in for a cup of coffee, swapping stories, you know, that sort of thing. I'll attend upon that we find ourselves involved. What do you say? Present the stories of Sherlock Holmes. Tonight, the Sarusi Pearl. Suddenly, it was spring, and one of the most beautiful springs we'd seen for many years. It was the more appreciated as it followed a severe winter with serious flooding in the north. The parks and gardens began to stir with life. Overnight, the air became warm and soft. Blossoms filled the trees and shrubs. In the city, children were bowling their hoops and playing hopscotch in the alleyways. In the country, house parties could now be arranged with tennis and croquet for the guests. I was always happy at this time of year. There would be fewer cases of illness owing to the winter cold. Even Sherlock Holmes, who professed never to care a jot about the weather, appeared to respond cheerfully to the changed conditions. On this particularly bright morning, we'd hardly finished breakfast before there was a ring at the doorbell. And some minutes later, Mrs. Hudson showed an Inspector Thorne of New Scotland Yard and his assistant... Detective Sergeant Pollock. You're bright and early, Thorne. Enjoying the change in the weather? Uh, pray do take a seat. Will you have some coffee? Oh, uh, uh, oh thank you. Yes, Sergeant. Oh, thank you. Don't mind if I do. Yes, well, allow me. <laughs> oh, tell me all about it, Thorne. You cannot have called here just because you want to share our coffee. I see from the newspaper that you're engaged upon the case of Lady Beresford's stolen pearls. Is it proving interesting? <laughs> it's always difficult when one's dealing with the aristocracy can be rather embarrassing. It's uh, uncomfortable to, uh, to question a lord or a baronet, and, oh, this case is nearly a dozen of them. Ah, here you are, you copy. Well, there, do tell us all about it. Yes, pray do, but first, let me refresh my memory regarding your central character, Lady Jane Beresford. Uh, she is a widow, is she not? Lord Beresford died some six years ago, leaving her the ancestral seat of Ashwood Hall in Oxfordshire. Mm. She's an extremely rich lady who entertains lavishly and owns the famous... Sarusi pearls. Uh, it's something from this collection that is missing? Uh, a tiara. Ah. 
It seemed she uh, opened the country season with a house party. Uh, Twelve house guests. All top drawer, naturally. Guest list reads like who's who. I was sent to Oxfordshire the moment the yard was called in. Lady Beresford insisted that the local police should not be called in. She wants the whole matter handled with the utmost discretion. As little publicity as possible. How the morning papers got hold of the news, I can't think. Anyhow, Pollock and I went up there, and of course we were granted an audience with Lady Beresford at once. She was extremely upset. This is very considerate, Inspector. I do appreciate it. It's a most delicate matter, you see. And I'm sure you'll be most discreet. You can be sure of that, my lady. Now, please tell us all the facts, right from the start. Leaving nothing out, however insignificant. Well, a month ago, I sent out invitations to a dozen or so friends of mine. But the list is there on the side table. I've had my secretary prepare it for you. Thank you. Uh, I see there are 14 names here. Uh, did they all come to the house party? Two were unable to. The Earl of Baronsmere and his wife. They were stranded in Scotland and all that terrible flooding. The others all came and stayed here, naturally. On the Sunday evening, we had a recital. A string quartet from Oxford. It was a great success, and the guests all retired around midnight. It was quite formal, evening dress, of course. I wore a lavender gown and the tiara. Any other jewellery? With the Cerusi pearls, Inspector, any other jewellery would be quite out of place. Mm, quite. Well, please carry on. But I keep my jewels in a safe in my late husband's bedroom. It's the very latest in safe, very secure. Nobody but my secretary and myself know how to open it. But it's my own fault. I was simply careless. It had been a wonderful weekend, and I was exhausted when I retired. Foolishly, I did not return the tiara to the safe. I left it instead in a jewellery case in my dressing room. In the morning, it wasn't until after all the guests had departed that I remembered that the tiara was still out of the safe. I went to the dressing room. The jewellery box was still there, in the same place. But the tiara was no longer inside. It had been stolen during the night. I immediately reported the matter to Scotland Yard. How many servants have access to your dressing room, Lady Bursford? Three. My maid, the housekeeper, and the chambermaid. But they all swear that they were never in the rooms. You wish to question them, of course. But they've all been with my household since before my husband's death. All my staff are 100% trustworthy. Oh, you do see what this means, Inspector. If no one living here stole the tiara, then it must have been one of the guests. The cream of British aristocracy is on that guest list. How can I let any one of them believe that I think them to be a cheap thief? It's unthinkable. And yet the theft took place. I don't know how you're going to investigate this, Inspector, without bringing shame and humiliation to all of us. It's quite dreadful. Dreadful. Of course, I questioned all the servants. The impression I got was that they were totally loyal to Lady Beresford and quite horrified that this should have happened. I made an examination of the rooms and the grounds. The dressing room in question is a corner room. Outside, there's just one floor and then the ground floor. There's a large creeper growing along the wall. Clear evidence that it had recently been climbed. Uh, there were marks made to cover up the ground at the roots, which may have shown footprints. So you're fairly certain that entry was made from the outside during the time Lady Beresford was sleeping by a person or persons unknown? That's right. Now, we can discount casual robbery. How would the thief know that the pearls were being worn on that particular night and that they were to be found in her ladyship's dressing room? Mm, how indeed. So her ladyship's fears are confirmed. 
It was one of her guests who turned thief. I'm not looking forward to questioning all those titled people. It's impossible not to cause offence. Uh, may I see the list? Mm -hmm. Miss Holmes. Oh, thank you. Ah, the Earl of Newport, Marchioness Lindobre, Speech from Lady Courtney, Count Hugot von Parent, the Honourable S. O'Keefe, Sir James Lady Ford Wallace, Viscount McFadden. Oh, it's quite a celebrity start to the spring season. Well, now, well, it doesn't seem to be at all difficult for him. It doesn't? No. Of the twelve names we have here, five are women who are, after all, unlikely to go scampering up creepers during the night. Of the other seven, four are men hardly able to climb a flight of stairs. They're so old. Viscount McFadden lost a leg in a shooting accident last year. Therefore, we're left with two young suspects. The Earl of Newport is known to me, and I should say he would never be a thief. The other, the Honourable S. O'Keefe. I've never heard of him. Well, the name has a decidedly false ring to it. Watson, uh, please pass me the large blue book at the end of the third bookshelf, please. Uh, this one? Yeah, uh, that's it, yes. Thank you. Yes, I already have a suspicion growing in my mind, but one must verify everything. I'm sure you'll agree, Thorne. Now, oh, O'Keefe. O'Keefe. Uh, as I thought, no such person listed. Well, that's your man, Thorne, no doubt about it. The course is clear. Find out who the man is, how long Lady Beresford has known him, and why he happened to be in such august company. Well, that's a very useful suggestion, Holmes. May I make another? Well, of course. There are very few men in England who would dare to commit such a crime. An ordinary crook could never hope to carry it off. To start with, he has to fool some of the oldest and best-bred families in the land. He'd have to be extremely well-read, well-traveled, and well-educated. In short... A black sheep from the upper classes was turned to crime through force of circumstances, or maybe just sheer boredom. That narrows it down even further, wouldn't you say? Got anyone in mind, Holmes? Yes, one in particular. Slim Buxton. Public school background, married twice for money. He's several aliases, and is known in the London underworld as the Duke. Now, don't try and look him up at Scotland Yard. He's too clever to have a criminal record. If you like, I'll make inquiries through my own contacts. They would know who could locate a buyer for rare and famous pearls. Yes, that might be just as well. Yes, I doubt, however, if the Duke would risk trying to dispose of the Sarusi pearls in England. Certainly not so soon after the theft, at any rate. The collection was designed for the Sarusi family, the famous Italian bankers. The collection came into the hands of the Beresford family when Alberto Sarusi disposed many of his assets in order to finance his vast Middle East concerns. Yes, well, I'd have a watch place on all ports and check all continental shipping. Pick up the Duke, pin a crime on him so you can hold him, and then get to work. Mm, well, as I say, it's worth following up. Got that, Pollock? Yes, Inspector. Well, thank you very much, Holmes, uh, for the uh, chat and the coffee. <laughs> We'll be getting in touch. Uh, good morning to you. Uh, morning, sir. Good morning. Good morning. While Thorne and the detective sergeant had been with us, Holmes seemed to view the whole matter with an air of slight amusement. But once they'd gone about their business, he became very thoughtful. This is a very puzzling affair, Watson. It simply does not make sense. There's far more to it than Thorne thinks. Well, if he does take your advice and manages to catch the slim Buxton fellow, then it'll be entirely due to you, Holmes. Mm, it'll take a smarter man than Thorne to catch the Duke out. Oh, well, I shall be out all day, but if you're here this evening... 
I expect to have news. You're going to pursue the case. You're going after this man, Stim Buxton, you see. Oh, no, 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 no. I shall let Thorne do all that. I expect him to be successful up to a point. No, I shall be tracking down the real criminal. I'll see you this evening. Sherlock Holmes' attitude of being one step ahead of everyone else could be extremely irritating. But he was so seldom wrong that I'd learned to live with it. And I must admit that I looked forward to hearing the progress both he and Thorne had made during that day. When I returned to Baker Street that evening, I found Holmes seated by the open window, a sheaf of telegrams on his lap. He looked up cheerfully and said, Listen to this, Watson. Your supposition is entirely correct. Slim Buxton identified as Honourable S. O'Keefe, booked under his own name, passage on SS Emerald Isle from Portsmouth to Dublin this evening. Pollock and I will be on board. Hope for catch red-handed before stop at Liverpool tomorrow. Regards, Thorne. <laughs> I must say things are moving, Holmes, but why are Thorne Pollock boarding the ship? They know the man's guilty. Why don't they hold him on suspicion until it's all been cleared up? Ah, it's quite simple. They hope to catch him on board with the pearls. If they move in too soon, they might get their man, but they will have no proof. Thorne thinks he's playing a very clever game. Oh, well, it sounds astute enough to me. I just hope he can pull it off. Oh, I should be very surprised if he does. A trip to Liverpool might prove most interesting. How are you placed, Watson, for a couple of days? Yes, I suppose that'd be all right. I could, uh... Well, I, uh, I think it might take longer. If we go over to Dublin, if you could spare the time and the interest, I promise you will not be out of pocket at the end of the trip. Shall I make the necessary arrangements? The SS Emerald Isle will be at Liverpool tomorrow. So we must take the first train. Will that be all right with you? By this time, I was too intrigued to want to miss a minute of any further developments, and I simply agreed. All the same, I wondered what was about to happen. I also wondered about Thorne and Pollock aboard the SS Emerald Isle. How exactly would they go about this? This is how we'll go about it, Pollock. Watch the men like a hawk. He's not have a clue who we are. One of us must be with him all times. And the only time he'll be alone is when he goes to his cabin. Then we watch the gangway. Notice if he talks to anyone, makes friends with people, or engages anyone in what looks like a business transaction. We've got our man, I'm sure of that. And he must have the pearls either in his luggage or about his person. It's all that clear? Yes, Inspector, I understand. Good. Then we must not appear to be too friendly. Look, he, he's getting up from the table over there. He's finishing his drink. He's heading for the deck. All right, get out, friend. Keep your ears and eyes open and report back when I can take over from you. Now, off you go. Yes, You uh, wouldn't happen to have a match on you, would you, old chap? Yes, yes, I think so, sir. Thank you. No, deuced rude of me. Would you care to smoke? No, no, thank you, sir. Calm sea, lovely night. Should be a good crossing tomorrow, uh, going far on this trip. Well, no, uh, no, that is... Well, I don't think so. Like that, is it? (laughs) You know, you really should make up your mind. After all, it is the public's money you're spending, is it not? What? What do you mean? I, I don't understand. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, come on now. Credit me with a little more discernment. Perhaps it is just as well that we can have this little chat. It saves so much time, you know. 
My name, as you know, is Slim Buxton. I don't know yours, but you really should cut along to your superior, the worthy inspector, and uh, tell him that this trip is a complete waste of time and money. I rather object to a nice sea crossing being spoiled by being treated as a common criminal. I have not committed a crime, and you will never be able to prove that I have. So be a good man and leave me alone, will you? Now, I think I will retire for the night. Good night. I hope you sleep as well as I know I shall. Of all the blasted affrontery, the flaming chick! How dare the man take such liberties? I'll have him arrested immediately. I have the captain put a close watch on his cabinet. He'll be dragged off this ship at Liverpool and held for a... For, for what, Inspector? We haven't got a thing on it. He gained entry to Lady Beresford's home at Ashwood Hall by impersonation. That's good enough for Star. But she invited him. No. We haven't got a thing on him and he knows it. Don't stop raising objections, Polliger. I'm holding that man tomorrow morning the moment we tie up at Liverpool. And that's a fact. Holmes and I boarded the night train for Liverpool, having been lucky enough to secure a double berth at short notice. We were expected to arrive at Liverpool at six o'clock the following morning, in good time to meet up with the SS Emerald Isle from Portsmouth later the day. The next day, as the packet was being moored at the dock, we saw a police carriage standing outside the portmaster's office. Inspector Thorne was already at work upon his victim. It's no good, Inspector. It's no good. There's nothing here. I've been through this case half a dozen times. Well, take the handle off. Take, take the bottom off the case. I do hope that you're going to replace all this, Inspector. I regard it as willful damage to private property. I know you carry a warrant to search, but not to destroy. May I get dressed now? You may, but you're not leaving England. I can detain you under my special powers, and I shall do so now. I know you're at the root of all this trouble, and I... By heaven, I'll stick at it until I approve. Well, the best of luck to you. Since I have been deprived of my rights of travel and my belongings are in tatters, I take it you will be good enough to escort me back to my London home where I can at least change into decent clothes before taking this appalling business any further. Very well. Now come with me. Sergeant, get all this stuff together. Come along there. Hurry, man. Hurry. <laughs> To my surprise, Holmes seemed little interested in Thorne's interrogation of Slim Buxton. He merely requested that the sergeant stay with us at Liverpool when the official police party took the impeccably cool suspect away to London. Holmes boarded the SS Emerald Isle and had a word with the purser. Uh, the, the cabin allocated to Mr. Slim Buxton. Uh, I'm afraid it's been given to somebody else, sir. It, uh, it just isn't free. No, that is a pity. Mr. Buxton then just left the ship. I'm a bad sailor, and I thought I'd like a cabin for the crossing. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. You see, there was a lady, and she had her name on the list for cancellation. It's a Signora Claudia Gamboli. Mm. So, you see, you're just too late. Oh, very well, I understand. It's not all that important. Uh, can you point the lady out to me among the passengers already aboard? Oh, why, uh, yes, uh, yes, sir. Let's, uh... Oh, well, there, there she is, there. There, in the dark brown coat, uh, with a brown hat and veil. Uh, that's her. That's Signora Gamboli. Oh, good. Thank you, thank you. Now, Sergeant, you see the lady we've been talking about over there? She's about to go below. Yes, sir, I've got her. Well, just stay well out of her way until we reach Dublin. I don't think there'll be any difficulty. She will go below, I imagine. And we shall spend most of the pleasant crossing smoking our pipes and enjoying the calm seas. What do you say, Watson? Well, I, I can't think of a more enjoyable way of spending the day. Ah, good, then. Let's go and get ourselves a decent spot by the rails. 
Nothing was delightful. The sea like a milk pond, and just sufficient breeze to be invigorating. I thoroughly enjoyed myself, and as for Holmes, well, I think he almost forgot the purpose of our journey. However, at Dublin, he asserted his authority and was the first off the ship. An Irish official came aboard, and Holmes led our small party down to the cabin where Signora Gamboli was sitting with luggage packed. Signora Gamboli? I am Signora Claudia Gamboli. What can I do for you? This is Inspector McEnroe of the Dublin Constabulary. This is Detective Sergeant Pollock of Scotland Yard. Oh, yeah? What can I do for you, gentlemen? I think you already know, Sergeant Pollock. Do you not? No, I have not had the pleasure. I think you have. The day he called on you at your ancestral seat, Ashwood Hall in Oxfordshire, in connection with your missing tiara. What are you talking about? Are you people crazy? What kind of a rubbish are you coming here with? Will you please mind removing your hat and that thick black veil? I'm sure the sergeant will confirm all that I'm saying. Come now, Lady Bettisford. No one wishes to force you into a confession, but the game is up. You know it is. Now, please, remove the veil. This is an outrage. I mean, I come here, you come here disturbing a lady with these stupid lies. Uh, Lady Bettisford, please remove the veil. I'm afraid I must insist. No, and if I refuse... I shall merely take your handbag like this. Oh, no. No, give give that back. Give it to me. How dare you? Ah, that is better. That's more like your own voice. And now... Ah, the pearl tiara. Here is the beauty. Watson, I think you'd better take charge of this for the moment. Yes, uh, very well, Holmes. Just where did Slim Buxton hide this tiara, my lady? Behind the water pipes, perhaps? Oh, yes, it was very clever of you. A neat plan. Too neat a plan in many ways. You've been extremely heavily in debt for some time, and so you arranged the entire affair. You got in touch with Slim Buxton, who seemed eminently suitable for the kind of tricky operation you had in mind. You promised him half the insurance money if he would steal your jewels. The idea was to make it obvious that he was the crook and have Scotland Yard follow him on board this boat. Ah, you both knew that he would be taken off. And when he was, you would come aboard, occupy the same cabin, collect the tiara from a safe hiding place and proceed to Dublin where you could dispose of it for a fortune. I'm familiar, my lady, with the notorious Circle des Amis whose headquarters are in Dublin and who specialize in trading in hot collector's items. A piece from the exquisite Sarusi collection would not only bring in a handsome sum, but would be quite a prize to acquire. The money from the sale, combined with the insurance claim, would certainly get you out of debt and also prevent you from losing face in society. Now, is that not so? Give or take a few details. Everything you say is quite correct, but I have nothing further to say. Neither have I. I shall leave it all to Scotland Yard to handle as they think fit. Only one more thing. You did offer a reward to whoever found the tiara. Well, I found it. So, there we are. I told you we would not be out of pocket regarding this little trip, did I not, Watson? decided to stay in Dublin for a few days. As Holmes pointed out, it was a free trip. Why not enjoy ourselves? Dublin proved to be, indeed, the fairest of cities. And as we sat drinking sherry early in the evening in a delightful public house overlooking Dublin Bay, Holmes explained, I've always said that when all other factors have been discounted, the remaining one, however implausible it may seem, must be the cause of the problem. In this case, no one on that guest list would have been prepared to rub Lady Beresford, not even Slim Buxton. Therefore, the instigator of the crime had to be Milady herself. She was just too clever. She left too many 
obvious clues for Thorne to pick up. <laughs> ah, well, I'm looking forward to the crossing back, Watson. Such a soothing journey it was coming here. For us, anyhow. <laughs> Not so for Lady Beresford, I shouldn't think. <laughs> Would you, Watson? Listen again next Sunday to The Stories of Sherlock Holmes with Graham Armitage's Holmes and Kerry Jordan as Dr. Watson.